Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about how to live a slower, simpler life in a world that is uh, kind of the opposite of that. My name is Brooke McCallery. This is episode 155. Welcome. And I'm Ben McCallery. And welcome to a hostful. Another hostful. These are the episodes where we answer our audience questions. Mm-hmm. And today we've got some, well, we've got five really, really different questions that I'm going to say we've never had before. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm. I, uh, I put the call out a, a while back on Facebook and you guys keep bringing questions. They are really so, unique. So good. And thoughtful questions. Yeah, yeah, I say it every time we record a hostful, but I mean it. I learn as much as I potentially give out in terms of I don't insights into into what's important and and it's no surprise that hostfuls are my favorite episodes I've got to say to record everything yeah I just feel really empowered after recording them and oh, then, they're fun yeah they're really fun and the feedback we get is fantastic as well and we've also been getting some great feedback on pocketbook our partner of a previous episode who is once again partnering us on this episode They are. They're back again, which is awesome. So uh, it's good to have Pocketbook back. But one of the things that we get asked about a lot in our hostful questions is finances. And there was actually a couple of questions asked in the most recent Facebook call out about money and how how having a good grasp on your finances can actually help you to simplify your life and start, you know, either saving for, for something or simply not having to worry about, you know, your administration and bills and keeping all your budget balanced over time, uh, which is why Pocketbook is one of the best possible partners that we could have. And I'd say that money is one of the big issues stopping people from really slowing down. Like whether it's perceived or real, money has that big impact on people's lifestyle. And it's just a huge stressor. And having the stressor of balancing the budget and making sure money is where it needs to be and that we're not overpaying fees and bills and all that kind of stuff. All that stuff, yeah. Is is huge. So to be able to to really minimize that, which is basically what Pocketbook does, is is incredible. And it really does allow you to spend to have more time to to spend on the things that matter. So the way they do that is is by uh, you, you sign up, it's a free service, you download an app, and that app securely links to your bank accounts. And then with from within the app, you can see everything at a glance. You can see all of your, your balances, your spending, upcoming sp- expenses, all that kind of stuff. All the things that you need to be on top of in order for money to, to not be an additional stressful factor in life. So I definitely recommend that you check out Pocketbook. You can head to getpocketbook.com slash slow home and you can download the app from there. And see the impact that it can have on, on you know, just simplifying your life. All right, let's get in to our hostful. question we've got today comes from Paige and she asks email never stops for me for work and in my personal life amen sister (laughs) it seems small but she thinks it poses a huge threat to slow-minded people in our generation do you have any tips yes I do and yes I think that it does pose a huge threat to uh 
to people's peace of mind, honestly, because it is all pervasive now, unless we're actually, it used to be, you have to go and seek out your email. Now you have to go and seek out solutions to not have your email attached to your person all the time. Like remember when email was attached to a computer? <laughs> well, no, how good was that? It's great. And you'd go to work and you'd open your email inbox. You'd go, oh, okay, I have these emails to respond to. And mm. then you'd close your computer down and you wouldn't think about it until you went back to the office. That was really, really, really nice. It was really nice. And now with mobile phones, look, here's, a, here's an email fail that I got this morning. I was cooking scrambled eggs. You were. I had my phone near me. You did. I saw the alert come up. And this was after a really beautiful walk that we went on. So I was in a very relaxed, mindful state and got the email and I was reading through the email, burnt the eggs. You did. Burnt the eggs and the toast. Yep. Email fail. Email fail. What's been your email fail recently? Checking my email when I have zero intention of responding. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. And I do it way more than... I should Mm. way less than I used to, but way more than I should. So, I mean, first of all, Paige, like completely agree with you. It is such a threat to your peace of mind, but in terms of managing that, I think there definitely are a few things. Now I have, I recently realized that I have a reputation as someone who is not great on email. Good on you. What a great badge of honor. Well, it's not a badge of honor. But I'm not, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I'm really not mad about it. Because what I think I have managed to cultivate over the years through neglect and ignoring emails is the understanding that I'm not going to respond to people immediately. And while there are instances in life where you need, of course, you need to be responsive in work. I get that. But I think it's really not a bad thing to have, have cultivated this understanding with people that you will not drop everything and respond to the mm. email immediately. And I think that that has actually helped me far more than it's harmed me mm. uh, over the past couple of years. So it's an expectation thing. It is absolutely an expectation thing. So how can you do that? You can set up a few boundaries and this will be depending on what you do for work and you, you know how much your friends are emailing you as well because you do specifically mention that. Uh, you can set up some some boundaries in terms of perhaps not checking your email after seven o'clock at night. If you have to turn your phone off, turn your phone off. You know, it, because if you're not responding to emails, or if you are responding but it's unnecessary, and you're finding it stressful to do that, then turn your phone off. Put your phone in like a box somewhere, and don't turn it back on until you're awake in the morning. So that just gives your brain time to not be constantly responding, even if, because the thing that that frustrates me is when I check my email and I have no intention of responding, I still kind of semi-formulate an answer in my head anyway. So that's my brain not paying attention to what I'm actually doing, you know? And I think if you can give yourself the opportunity to, to not do that for maybe 12 hours at night, but gosh, even if it's just for a couple of hours before you go to bed, then I think that that's a gift that you're giving yourself in terms of the ability to slow down and just not think about that stuff. But also uh, during the day, this is something that a lot of people talk about and I I get the benefit of it. I don't do it myself as much as I, as I probably should. A lot of people like to set maybe three periods during the day where they answer emails, where they open 
read and answer their emails. So maybe 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes after lunch, 45 minutes before you go to go home, something like that. And that then again sets people's expectations that you're not going to necessarily respond immediately. Uh, So I think it's all about boundaries, to be honest, when it comes to email. And a lot of that is on us because if someone can get a response from you immediately, then great, they will want that. But if, you know, if you start a relationship or a working relationship like that, then that's people's expectation going forward are going to be that you will respond immediately all the time. So I think that expectations is a really, really important thing because especially when you are working with someone new, so someone that's not used to emailing you. So you can set those boundaries and expectations straight away. But what if, like Paige, she wants to change it with her existing relationships, working relationships, personal life? And one of the things that a friend of the show, actually, um, Kelly Exeter, does is that all her emails are three lines long, Mm -hmm. three sentences long. The other thing I think is if you're trying to create these these boundaries for yourself and a concern maybe of what your manager or your boss or your colleagues might think if you all of a sudden just said well I'm not answering emails between 9 and 12 p.m you know during the work day instead why don't you just try it don't tell anyone just try it just set those boundaries up privately personally and see if anyone notices any difference that's true you know just trial it for a week or two weeks or a month and see how you feel first of all but also see if anyone calls you on it because chances are they won't and the good thing is if you're going to adopt something like the three sentences rule is that in your signature you write something like um why is this email three sentences or less so you can have a little spiel that basically manages people's expectations mm-hmm. about what they're actually getting from you. No, you're, you're really, you're right. Because I've been seeing this time and time again in uh, email signatures with people that I work with or people that I'm using a service of theirs or whatever. They will say at the bottom under their name, this email account is checked between these hours and these hours on these days only. Uh, you know, outside of that, um, like contact the general email account or here's the general phone number or whatever, but they really clearly state that they're not going to be available all the time. And sometimes it's a matter of simply being intentional with what you're doing. Let's say you start working with a new client and their expectations of you are very different to your expectations of being available. You know, we don't work over the weekends. I don't answer emails over the weekends. Uh, And if I get a work call, I don't answer it over the weekend. That's, that's our rule. We have a 24 hour period where we're not online at all, but even when we're, you know, around, I'm not working. That's just the way we've decided to run our business and our life. And I think it's, that's entirely reasonable, but you know, when you start working with a client who works in a different way, it can be simply a matter of saying in the setup of that relationship, just so you know, these are the boundaries within which we work. Happy to take your call anytime Monday to Friday between nine and five. But if you call me at nine o'clock at night, you can be guaranteed I will not answer. Uh, you know, and just put it out there. And I think that you're definitely probable, you're probably more likely to be able to do it that with friends than colleagues straight out of the gate. But just try, you know, just try, try setting those boundaries yourself privately without telling anyone. But then if people ask you about it, tell them, you know, and, and see how you go. But Hopefully that that helps. The other thing I will say, I I see so many people 
just flogging themselves trying to get to inbox zero as a measure of you know productivity being like at peak productivity or something and I get it I understand the benefit of it but if you're finding that a huge stressful factor in life don't worry about it you know find a way of managing your email that works for you and that doesn't see you cutting around 25,000 unopened emails but if inbox zero is a stress for you then don't worry about it (laughs) thanks for your question Paige kids clothes they do my head in that's not me saying that okay (laughs) that's Linnell who's written in and said we seem to have so many because I struggle to throw them out or give them away but then I get me get hand-me-downs and I don't want to put them away in storage because they fit now Help, I'm drowning in a sea of too many clothes that get pulled out of drawers, walked on and back into the washing machine without even being worn. Mm. If it wasn't such a cold climate here, I'd make them all go naked. (laughs) There's the central heating. (laughs) Inside, I guess. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) This is a common one, actually. Uh, And I think we'll start by talking about what we do in keeping on top of the kids' clothes because we're very fortunate. We have family around nearby who have older kids and they happily share hand-me-downs. So we're, we're, and I mean that when I say we're fortunate, we really are because we have saved a small fortune on clothes and shoes over the last eight years. I think there have been seasons, um, like six month periods where the kids change over, you know, to winter summer clothes and we haven't had to buy, buy anything. anything. We haven't. Not a single no. item. And that that's You just, know the only thing? Shoes. Yeah, kids are kids yeah. are hard on, on shoes and clothes yeah. in general. Yeah. So I think we're very, very lucky to, to have that. I can understand how it can be problematic when it's in bulk though. Uh, particularly if you're trying to to deal with clutter yourself, your own things. And then really generously, people are giving you hand-me-downs and it can just feel like more and too much. So what we do is, like, I never expect hand-me-downs. We don't have a system whereby, you know, the first of every month we get a bag on the the doorstep. So I never know if or when we're going to get a bag of hand-me-downs. exactly. So what we do is essentially at the beginning of every school holidays, the first, first day usually of the school holidays is clean-up day and that's the day that we go through the kids' wardrobes. The so, art yeah yeah what we do it's like it's a more general cleanup than anything yeah. so we do the art wall we do wardrobes bookshelves under the beds all that kind of stuff four times a year is the kids declutter day yeah isn't it and it's great yeah. it means that things never get out of control mm. so what that looked like a couple of years ago is very different to what that looks like now as well because we got it down to a level of stuff that was good for us the kids still have plenty of clothes and they could do with half the amount to be perfectly honest but it's, it's fine, it's manageable, and they're happy, and we're happy. So, uh, yeah, we go through their wardrobes, we take everything out. Obviously, anything that doesn't fit, we either pass on to, you know, family who have younger kids than, than ours, uh, or we give to Vinny's. We just pop them in a bag and give them to Vinny's. Uh, and if they're really in really poor form, we either, like, there's a rag bag collection mm. that you can do, so any clothes that are not denim, nothing rough or printed, but that can be cut up into rags and, and resold and things like that. So that's what we usually do with the things that are too small. And then with uh, hand-me-downs, I will keep, when we're given a box of hand-me-downs, I will try and go through it myself without the kids because, of course, everything new is, is great for the kids and they just want to keep it all. 
But if I go through it, I'll pick the things that I know that they will need in the coming season and I'll put them in a bag at the top of their wardrobes. And on this first day of the holidays, we pull that down. Anything that they fit into, anything that's the right season gets put into their wardrobe. I tend to not keep things that are really heaps too big for the kids. You know, if they're given something for a 12 year old or, you know, shoes that are going to take three or four years to grow into, I usually just give them to someone else. Because clothes do, uh, particularly elastic and things like that, they they ruin yeah. if they're in storage for a long time. So the frustrating thing would be to have all this stuff taking up room and pulling it out and the pants have lost their elastic or, you know, the shoes have gone like that crusty, weird, leathery thing. Um, or mold or mildew has gotten into them. I'd prefer someone else to be using them. So I usually only keep hand-me-downs that are maybe one, one and a half years too big for the kids. Everything else is automatically passed on what do you do with managing the kids expectations around case in point our son bought a shirt in canada mm-hmm. first time we went over and is now three four years old mm. and it's pretty ratty it still fits him but it's pretty gross yeah how do you deal with something like that i think like there's room for them to keep a couple of ratty crappy t-shirts you I know. suppose everyone needs art shirts. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but I think the important thing is to not let everything be imbued with sentimentality. Mm. Most of it is just clothes. Mm. Clothes are just clothes. And I think that it's important to not let the kids get too wrapped up in that idea of, oh, this is a special shirt. Yeah, like I, I get it, but the, the memory is special. Yeah, don't, the time it's is almost special. like don't feed that. That's right. So Because kids are more likely to cling to that stuff. Our kids are little bowerbirds. They love collecting yeah. anyway, which is fine, and I'm not going to stop them from doing that. But I think that, again, boundaries is the key with that. Get, our kids have a, a certain space in their wardrobes for their clothes. They've got a toy box under their bed, uh, and they have a bookshelf. And when things get beyond the scope of those spaces, when they've collected too much or they've had a birthday or it's been Christmas, that's when they know that it's time to let go of things. And usually that works. I mean, I I think that we've really cut down significantly on the stuff coming in. So we don't get to that point much anymore. You know, we don't get to the point where things are overflowing. Um, But if we do, particularly, you know, if the the T-shirt drawers like kind of hard to close, it's (laughs) a really clear sign Sign, that it's time to let go. Similarly, if the kids have got T-shirts at the bottom of their drawer that they haven't worn in six months, that's a good sign that, that you whip, can just let go out. of half of yep. them, you know, and I get it. I understand that you don't want to let go of things that are, that are good, but the reality is we can't wear 30 t-shirts and we won't wear 30 t-shirts. So why not pass them on to someone else who will? Uh, the other thing though, that I think is really key in, in keeping in mind with hand-me-downs, um, it's fashion revolution week at the moment, actually. And I saw this statistic tweeted out by them the other day that said, if you prolong the wear of an item from one year to two years, you're saving the emissions on that one particular garment are reduced by 24%. So if ever you're kind of questioning the value of hand-me-downs, there it's it right is. there. You know, I, we've got items in our kids' wardrobes that have gone through from my eldest nieces and nephews all the way down to our youngest. And that's going on 15 years. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that's where the argument for buying quality or keeping quality and looking after the clothes that you do have can be made, but also understanding that kids are tough on their clothes, you know, so don't, 
maybe don't buy them white frilly things if that's all they're going to wear. I mean, that's fine to have as a kind of a special outfit, but if that's what they're going to wear constantly and you're going to stress about trashing them and, and they will get laundering trashed. them, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe think about practicalities as well in terms of the things that you keep. But yeah, I mean, go the hand-me-downs, go the boundaries and um, yeah, like feel okay about letting things go and letting other people wear them and use them. Thanks, Linnell. Katie writes in. <laughs> like you're channeling your yeah. inner, like, um, I don't know, self-help guru kind of radio <laughs> guest guy. What? I get all breathless. Katie writes in. I heard how you meal plan for the evening meal, but I wondered how you simply do lunch with you both home and breakfast. Mm. My partner works from home and I've started to also. Go for meal plans for the win. They are really, really helpful for the evening meal. Yeah. But we do something similar for lunch. We do. Short answer, we, uh, we, we eat leftovers a lot for lunch. Usually there will be a significant amount left over from dinner the night before or a couple of nights ago, and we, we usually will eat leftovers. If not, I, again, yeah, yeah like you said, in mm. summer and the warmer months, I'll make just a big salad. Mm-hmm. And I often roast a couple of big trays of veggies on the weekend and toss some of that through with um, with salad and maybe a little like a bit of tahini sauce or something like that. And it's such an easy, delicious lunch. Really easy. So yeah. for me, it's it is definitely preparing ahead of time. So I almost always have a homemade batch of hummus in the fridge and cut up sticks of carrot, cucumber, and celery, and that's like my go-to snack. And I just don't have to think about it. And that snack on those really busy days where you you sort of don't stop for lunch properly, it can get you through. Yeah. Like that snack of hummus with veggies, with veggies yeah. is like perfect. And a handful, like I'll have a handful Nuts. of cashews, yeah. maybe a square of dark chocolate. Genuinely, that is enough, you know. So it's leftovers, it's salad or soup in winter. Yeah, yeah pre- preload your meal plan. Work it into your meal plan. Exactly. Often it's good to, when you know that you've got a full-on day the next day, is that you make something the night previously that can be easily heated up. Yeah. Or, or just used again. Uh, the beauty about having these leftovers is that not only can you have it for lunch, but if you've got scraps after those leftovers, they go to the chooks as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I think in terms of the meal planning, it's just simply a matter of adding another column, you know, and thinking through what you're going to have for lunch, what you're going to have for breakfast. The way we simplify that, we don't have five different lunches and five different breakfasts during the week. It's almost always the same thing. So that might sound really boring to a lot of people, but it's it's actually very helpful. So like I mentioned, for lunches, it's either going to be a soup, uh, a salad or leftovers. Sometimes I will fry up some veggies if I don't feel like a soup or whatever. And then breakfast in the summer months, it's 90% of the time a green smoothie yep. breakfast or muesli and yogurt, something like that. Uh, and in winter, it is almost always porridge. I'll just do a big, big pot of porridge with, you know, seeds and stuff like that. Except this morning it was, be- it was be- burnt. you know, beautiful burnt sourdough toast with burnt uh, buttered scrambled eggs. Yeah. Beautiful. Really just textured. What really helps is adding some jalapenos on top. <laughs> some chilli sauce. So you the, the heat of those takes away from the charcoal. Mm-hmm. We hope that's helped, Katie. The next question is from Kristen. Is there ever been a point in the beginning of your journey where you felt stuck, perhaps lost momentum? 
She's feeling a little frustrated at the moment and a long way from where she wants to be. Got any advice for Chris? I do. It's a, it's a really good question and I think the fact that she's aware of it is... Really important. Yeah. Can I just make one piece of advice before you get into specifics? Sure. Kristen, if you haven't already, listen to the last two Monday episodes. Listen to the last two Monday episodes because in those episodes we're talking about your why Mm -hmm. and I think it'll really help. I think you're right. I do think that tapping into your why is incredibly important and I know I harp on and on about it, but there's a reason it forms the foundation upon which everything else is built in terms of the kind of life you're wanting to live. But the other thing I will say, I know she mentioned specifically at the beginning of our journey is, you know, was there a time when what I'm going to say is that yes, absolutely at the beginning, but also at the middle and also where we find yeah, ourselves now. Exactly. Right it now. Happens. Yeah. <laughs> We're in a period. And I think if you'd lis- if you've listened to uh, last week's episode, so 153, we talk pretty openly about being in a place of kind of not indecision, just flux and, and transition, but, but at a really plateaued point in that. And so it happens. We've been on this path towards simplifying and slowing down a lot uh, for a long time, and it still happens. So first of all, I think it's great that you've noticed. And second of all, I think understand that that will not disappear. There's no you know, perfect answer. There's no solution that's going to, to keep every every basket or every bucket in life full and happy and, and, you know, overflowing all the time. It's, it's a constant, you know, journey to use a, like a cliche. It really is. Mm. In saying that there, I think there are a few things that you can do to, to help yourself feel less stuck or less flat about it. I think tapping into your why is, is highly, highly recommended because it takes you out of what, maybe uh, very everyday kind of concerns, like really day-to-day concerns of, you know, what am I doing today or tomorrow or next week? Whereas your why really elevates your perspective to one of like a lifelong journey. And those little things, the things that we're stressed about and concerned about now, they don't feature in that big picture because they, they just shrink into nothing, really. When you're looking at an 80-year-long life, it's like what you're having for dinner or, or, you know, whether or not to share a photo on social media, that stuff doesn't, it doesn't appear at all. So pulling back and getting a bigger picture of, you know, and a, a bigger kind of dose of perspective is really helpful, but it can also help you possibly if you're at a, a point where you're trying to make a decision, tapping back into your why will help you in that as well. Because let's say one answer to the question that you're asking will take you closer to your why and the other will take you further away. That's going to be fairly clear, I think, when you're looking yeah. at it like that. Yeah. So you can always use that as your motivator, as the thing that's going to, to kickstart you and move you forward again. But the other thing you can do is look at how far you've come. And that's what she says. She's saying that she realizes that she's come a long way. Which I think is fantastic because so often we don't. So often we lament the fact that we've been spinning our wheels. Yeah. When we haven't, it just doesn't feel like we thought it would. And I think for me, that's been a huge learning over the past few years, these things, these changes don't necessarily look how we thought they'd look, yep. but doesn't mean that they're, they're not where they should be and what they should be. Mm. So I think that looking back and, and seeing those changes and seeing the benefits that you're feeling can be really helpful. Even writing it down. 
you know, 12 months ago I was, now I am. <laughs> and I yeah. think that that really can give us a sense of pride and, and a longer version of momentum if not if we're not feeling it right now. Because there's seasons where that's going to be the case. There's seasons where we get bogged down in things. There's seasons where we might be too busy to, to spend too much time focusing on our why or, um, you know, moving towards it in really like, explicit kind of ways. There's going to be periods of time like that. I think having that, that long-term view is really helpful. But hopefully that's, that's helpful, Kristen. Thanks, Kristen. Jen writes in, what's your favourite choice of beer and what do you like to throw on the grill? Oh, the Barbie. On the Barbie. On the Barbie. Jen's trying to slow things down at the moment and implement Sunday fun days. Would love to hear your take on slow fun days at home. Fun. All right. So what's your favourite beverage? Beverage? I'm, a, I'm typically a red wine drinker, um, but I do like a good beer. So one of my favourites is Stone and Wood, a Byron Bay brew. It's delicious and summery and really good. And I like a dark beer too. When we're in Japan, I don't know if you remember what it was called, but there was this ridiculous porter. The powder keg porter. Yes, it was amazing. And I think it was amazing because of the beer itself, but it was also just amazing because of where we were drinking it. Yeah, that's true. In Nazawa Onsen. But yeah, so I, I really do like a... Yeah, I really like hoppy beers. So IPAs, anything with hops to the max there's a beer called hop heads which is really really nice it's a i think it's an australian beer Mm -hmm. not too sure but i can get it from the local bottle i am a big fan of just trying as many different beers as possible my dad always laughs at the beers that you bring to like a barbecue or something yeah (laughs) what's ben got today yeah exactly so i think jen's in the states um what's your favorite american beer uh the steam anchor beer i'm a big fan of which I think is brewed in mm-hmm. California. I know that you can get it in Disneyland. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really nice beer. I like PBR. PBR, Pat's Paps <laughs> Blue Ribbon. It's really nice. <laughs> the most sentimental, beautiful beer that I've ever had was Ye Olde Pilsner that you can get in Alberta. I don't actually know if it's called Ye Olde Pilsner, but anyway, <laughs> it's, like, it's not a great beer. It's not but... a great beer, but... The sentimental reasons are there. Exactly. In terms of Sunday fun day, though. What do you like throwing on the barbecue before we get oh, on to that? Mushrooms. Yeah. It says the vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. A big, like a big field mushroom mm. is, is delicious. But I also make a really, really tasty black bean and sweet potato patty. So yep. if you're having hamburgers, mm. I will make a, a vegetarian version. It's delicious and really easy. Uh, I'll actually put a recipe because it's just some kind of thing that I made up over time on the blog, mm. slowyourhome.com slash 155 for today's episode. And I'll put a recipe there, but that's my favorite thing to put on, yeah. the, on the grill. I like putting ribs on the, on the barbecue, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm not a huge barbecue meat fa- fan. I'm, mm. I really like smoking. I really want to get into smoking. I don't do any of it at the moment, but no. every smoked meat that I have is just fantastic. You also like slow-cooked. Yes, yeah, slow-cooked, pulled pork, that sort of thing. That, that's what I, I really like, which you can do on the barbecue, but it's, it's such a high heat, it, it, mm. doesn't, it doesn't do that well. So if anyone's got some really good smoked meat recipes out there, drop, drop us a line on slowyourhome.com slash 155. Thank you in advance. 
<laughs> so what does a fun day, Sunday fun day look like for us? Often it's a bushwalk. Mm-hmm. We've been smashing the hiking lately. Doing a lot of bushwalking. Yeah, and loving it. We took the kids on their longest hike uh, last weekend. Call it a bushwalk. Yeah, I, I do. And then people are like, what's a bushwalk? Because it just sounds like strolling. I'm like, this was much harder than strolling. This was a hike. But you're right. It was a an advanced, for kids, bushwalk. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was great. It was probably eight kilometers. Bit over eight k's. Yeah. And quite challenging. Lots of steps. Lots of rocky bits. You know, not not a boardwalk or anything like that. It mm. was a proper, proper trail. What it felt like to a lot of our Northern Hemisphere listeners is, you know those snake enclosures at zoos where you see those snakes under the reptile room yeah like a reptile room it was basically eight kilometers walking through a reptile room it was not you were just scared of snakes it was so fright it was frightening it uh, yeah look there's probably heaps of snakes that we walk past but i'm i've seen one snake ever on a bushwalk Mm. it was a brown snake quite and it was attached to your leg Yeah, don't don't go don't go inflating the no, uh, no. reputation of Australia that everything wants to kill you here any more than it already is. So we will almost always get out of the house on a Sunday. We'll uh, do a bushwalk. We'll go rock climbing. In summer, we'll go to the beach. Yeah, try to go to the beach quite early in the morning yes. sometimes. But basically, we we set it up as everything that we do, we do as a family. A family on Sunday, fun day. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's just an activity and. You know, most of the time it's a free activity. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, we may on a rainy day go to the movies or something like yeah. that, but almost always it's a fun activity in the great outdoors, followed up by a having some cold beers around the, our fire, our backyard fire, chairs, music. Yep. Happy days. Yeah. It's, Sunday Fun Day really is more about Connection. being together. Yeah. So sometimes that does mean playing Monopoly uh, or, Mm. you know, or something like that at home. But we do try to get out together. Mm. uh, Yeah, as part of it. And I just I actually love that the kids now remind us they feel like they need to remind us that it's Sunday fun day. Yeah. uh, That they know that that's time that we're going to spend together. Yeah. So if we miss it, it happens, you know, if one of us got something else happening, uh, we do try and kind of make it up another day. But. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love Sunday Fun Day. I'd love to hear what other people do for theirs. I mean, they may not call it that, but if what some of your go-to kind of activities are uh, to do as a family on the weekend or when you're all together, yeah, let us know. Absolutely. Thank you, f- everyone, for your wonderful question. There was a whole heap of questions, and we haven't got to everything. No, we, but we, like what we do is we stockpile them for future hostfuls. So if yours hasn't been answered in this episode there's a good chance that it could be answered in a future hostful. So thank you once again. Thank you guys very much for... Sorry, I was not listening. Yeah, absolutely. Keep your questions coming. As we said before, you ask the best questions. Thanks again to Pocketbook for sponsoring today's episode. You can head over to Get Pocketbook. Book. Book it book. Book it book. <clears throat> you can hit. <laughs> <laughs>
finish. I'm trying. <laughs> stop scratching, Cash. Cash. Stop. We're trying to wrap up the podcast. The poggy. So you, you can get it at getpocketbook.com slash Thanks, guys. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.